Welcome to episode 50 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with agent of change, a nightmare for your problems, Luke Michael Howard. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Many people might imagine a therapist to be a gentle-looking soul with softness in their eyes and heart and big bangle earrings. And yes, of course, that is a stereotype, but hold on, because today's guest could not be further from this. Luke Michael Howard, self-confessed hypnopunk and badass, has not only spent the last 20 years involved in the world of hypnosis, but he says he has a set of skills that make him a nightmare for people's problems. He's a regular speaker at some of the world's largest hypnosis conventions, spoken at TED Talks, and has a direct, no-nonsense approach to change. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. Hey, Howard. How are you doing? I'm really, really good, thank you. And it's uh, it's just great to have you here. Beautiful. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. As am I. Well, let's jump straight in. And I'd love you to tell uh, our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got started. I am a professional change worker. I have a set of skills that I've accumulated in about 21 years now from hypnosis to NLP, timeline therapy, EFT, CITAP, kinetic change, and a whole bunch of uh, other impressive sounding stuff as well. Um, and really, I got involved in this about 21 years ago. And I've told the story many places before, so I will give you a quick version of it. Mm. When I was a youngster, I was pretty messed up. I had about every problem you could imagine. I was suicidal, tried to kill myself twice before the age of 17. I was asthmatic and nearly died. I was obese, had a horrible relationship with my parents, was bullied at school, was agoraphobic. Um, did not um, do my GCSEs at school, left school because I was getting bullied every day. Um, and life got, and I was in child therapy from about the age of nine to about the age of 16. And um, basically nothing helped me. I had, all, I had anxiety before anxiety was a cool thing and a buzzword to have. And it got to a stage where I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. After I tried to kill myself the second time and it didn't work, I'm like, shit, I better start doing the opposite now and starting to live. So um, we had a TV show on in England. I'm sure you, I know you know, Howard. It was the hypnotic world of Paul McKenna in the mid 90s on a Monday night on ITV at 8 p.m. I'd watch this dog and pony show where McKenna would hypnotize people much like a stage show. So they believed that they were dogs or cats or Madonna. And because I watched this show every week and it was on TV and it was before the Internet, as a youngster, I thought this stuff's real. This stuff must actually work because they wouldn't put it on TV otherwise. So I was reading the News of the World, a famous British newspaper that's now defunct. And I saw an ad for a audio cassette. That's how long it was on Supreme Self-Confidence. I had a little Saturday job as a bellboy at that point, and I, I gave my sister £10 or $20 for our US friends to get that audio tape for me because I believed it would work totally because it was on TV and everything on TV is real. And I waited eagerly 21 days by the mailbox for that tape to come in. It finally came in. And because I absolutely believed it was going to work, I listened to side A, which was 22 minutes of a pre-talk 
every day. I listened to side B, which was the uh, hypnotic uh, intervention for 21 days. And that stupid, generic, one-size-fits-all audio cassette changed my life where nothing else did. And then I had a realization if a generic one size fits all scripted hypnosis CD or tape, in fact, could make this impact in my life, what would happen if I actually went around the world and learned from the best people on how this stuff really, really works? So then I spent the next, I'm 38 now, I spent the next 21 years spending way too much money um, studying with the best people in the world on how to get rapid change. And it all stemmed from a Paul McKenna self-help tape. A, a supreme self-confidence audio cassette that, that where um, seven or eight years of family therapy and child therapy um, left me still very much wounded. Mm. And some people might say broken that tape. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't all butterflies and rainbows and the sound of music after that but that one tape was that that ledge in the door that foot in the door to start making some serious change in my life i'm curious if we port that over to the work that you do now um how important do you think that your client's belief in change being possible uh, is important yeah, I'd answer that question in two ways. To steal a line from Anthony Jackwin, when someone says, I don't believe in hypnosis, I say to them, well, it's not a religion, so it doesn't really matter if you believe in hypnosis or not. You could come to see me, totally believe in hypnosis, yet not follow my instructions and get nowhere. You could come to me and completely not believe in hypnosis and to follow my instructions and have total success. So I always ask people that change is possible because it's the only consistent thing in life. I say to my clients, if I just stood you still in that very spot for the next two weeks until our next session, um, after two weeks, if you did nothing, you'd still change. You'd be two weeks closer to death. There'd be literally millions, perhaps billions of cells inside your body that died and respawned. So even though you don't think anything's happening, change is always happening. So the only thing that's impossible is you don't stand still. You're either dying or you're moving forward. You're growing or you're dying. But change is happening. It's inevitable. It always happens whether you like it or not. It just depends what kind of change you're looking for. So essentially you're getting people to connect with this inevitability that change happens rather than focusing on a belief of whether or not hypnosis is there. Absolutely, because people say, well, Luke, I, I don't know if I believe in this hypnosis. I'm a bit sceptical. I'm, like, I'm really sceptical as well. And I don't necessarily believe such a thing called hypnosis exists, yet it seems to work almost all of the time for me and my clients. Do you, do you ever get into explaining you know, what, what you think hypnosis is with your clients or you just get on and, and demonstrate and show people? In the old days, I was taught, Howard, that it's all about having a good pre-talk. And that is that, you know, for our people who perhaps don't practice hypnosis right now, it's explaining what hypnosis is and more importantly, explaining what hypnosis wasn't. I was trained to spend the first 30 to 35 minutes of a first session explaining to my clients what hypnosis was and what it wasn't. And to be quite honest, after about 35 minutes, my client's eyes closed. Now, I don't know if they were hypnotized or they were just frigging bored, um, <laughs> but that's what happened. And, and then I, got, I get bored really quickly, Howard. So um, now my pre-talk is one sentence. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. And, I, and I've got this from Jason Lynette. And the sentence is this. All hypnosis is is automatic response in spite of conscious awareness. My client then looks blank at me thinking, what the hell is that? So then I go into magnetic fingers, their fingers touch, and I'm hypnosis, automatic response in spite of conscious awareness. You're aware I'm in front of you. You're aware you're in my office. You're aware that you're sitting in this chair and you're aware of your fingers because I'm making you look at them. Yet they're seemingly touching all by themselves automatic response in spite of conscious awareness you're aware of everything yet something cool is happening that's what hypnosis is going to feel like today you'll most likely be aware of everything yet cool shit's going to happen that's going to blow your mind that's my pre-talk i love it and, and it totally backs up doesn't it this idea of uh, you know we said in the intro this guy has a direct no-nonsense approach so you're not 
messing around for half an hour, you know, trying to get some kind of buy-in and gradually lead them towards their direct experience straight off the bat. Yeah, I tell my clients, uh, you know what, if talking about this stuff worked, and, and, and most of our clients, I, I mean, I'm speaking for you right now, but we're most hypnotists or change workers I meet, were not the first call they make. They've gone through the counseling, mm. the psychotherapy, perhaps medication, yet they're still fucked up in their own words, technical words there. I'm like, if talking about it worked, you just sit down with your best friend have a chat about what's, what's troubling you. You wouldn't have the problem. You wouldn't be here. You'd have saved yourself a bunch of money. You would have saved my time. But how's that working out for you? They're like, well, it's not working out for me. That's why I'm here. Exactly. So we ain't going to talk about this anymore because we've done a screening call of about 30 minutes. I made a bunch of notes. You filled out a comprehensive questionnaire. I've got that in front of me or on my phone right now. Now we're just going to get into changing it because I ain't interested in hearing about your story anymore because you can either leave with your story or you can leave with a result. What do you want? They're like, uh, result, great. And then I'll just go into hypnotic phenomenon at that point. Yeah. How much, and this is a, a, a tricky question, really, and I'm not quite sure how I'm going to phrase this, but um, you have, I mean, you, you, you have a, a wonderful facial, uh, you know, appendage in the form of a beard, and you have piercings, <laughs> you. and you have uh, rings, and as you say, a self-confessed hypnopunk and badass, and certainly your appearance backs that up. How much do you think your, your manner, your direct approach your visual appearance has an impact to aid the therapeutic process because it's really kind of saying hey this i'm not going to accept any nonsense from you and this is going to be unlike any therapist you've probably ever seen i'm going to answer that question with it works tremendously well and it doesn't work at all and i'll back it up hmm. like this um it, it, it's it, it used to be when i was a little boy and I was very fucked up, I realized I, I needed to create somebody. I needed to create somebody to come and save me because I realized nobody was coming, that I had to create something um, bigger than me. And I grew up as a big fan of, of, of wrestling and still am and superheroes. And I would see these larger than life characters. And I never wanted or expected someone to save me because no one ever did. I realized I had to create this guy, this avatar. And for, for a period of my life, there was an incongruency where people would see this hardness, but perhaps I was not congruent. I was not walking my talk because I was trying to be something. I was, I was trying to do something, it actually, rather than be someone. And now I am that person and I'm not doing it. So, again, when people come into my office, they in my mind read of it they have seen counselors they have seen earthy and crunchy soft looking people who are all peace and love peace and love that shit hasn't worked for them they then see me they see a guy with a beard 21 tattoos and counting mm -hmm. um three or four piercings and a guy who strategically uses colorful language they come in and they have an experience of oh shit this guy's different from all the other things that I did and all the other people I saw before that didn't work, this is serious stuff. I love when my clients have that old shit moment. The <laughs> first time most clients see me, they have, and I'm not making this up, they do look terrified to begin with. And it used to make me chuckle because I'm like, they think hypnosis and, and the change work we're going to do is harsh. And it's the most loving, respectful, softest way of dealing with their problems. Yet they look shit scared. And what I realized was I forgot sometimes how I looked. And um, sometimes I'd scare people into change. And I'm quite okay with scaring people into change. However, the one time this didn't work, Howard, was um, I, about six, seven years ago, um, I had a naturopath. And she was working with people to help them stop smoking. And she admitted to me, she's like, Luke, I have success in all these other areas, but when it comes down to helping people quit smoking, I ain't having much success. I'd like ref I'd like to refer my clients to someone else. I've heard about you, but I want to meet you. So we talk for about 45 minutes. She's happy with me. I'm happy that someone's going to refer clients to me. So she goes to leave my office. Nice, nice, nice meeting. And then she turns back. She looks over her shoulder and in her best Columbo impression, she's like, one more thing. I'm like, what? She goes, listen, I have a little boy. 
and E7 he's a very happy little boy no major traumas there but basically every every night of his life for his seven years on earth he's peed the bed do you think you can help him I was always told to say yes to everything and quite frankly I needed the business back then so I said yes of course I can help him but then I had a battle with my consciousness and I'm like I'll call her Mary that's not a real name I'm like Mary I gotta be honest I haven't worked with many kids in fact I haven't worked with any kids at all can I guarantee that I can get make your little boy stop being in the bed no I can't guarantee it but I think I can help on some level she's like thanks for being honest Luke that's good enough for me we book three sessions, no, four sessions, actually. I speak to the parents at the beginning of the session. Little boy would come up. I'd ask him to sit on the chair. He'd run around my room. I'd ask him to close his eyes. He'd open his eyes. I'd ask for him to be quiet and still. He would make a lot of noise. Everything that I was to adults did not work with this little boy. And I'm like, shit, I've got to make something work here because I actually really like this lady and I really like this little boy. I really want to make it work and I want more business. But this power of personality, this power of character, charisma, whatever you want to call it, ain't working with a seven-year-old. <laughs> and I remembered from hearing stories about Bandler and Ericsson about literally just telling stories, metaphors that never directly addressed the problem, but at an unconscious level, the hero of the story is finding resolution. I remember this boy like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I remember this boy liked um, Transformers. So then I just made up stories for the next hour about Transformers, Ninja Turtles, and some other cartoon character. At the end of the session, I'll be honest with you, I felt like the biggest fucking fraud out there because I'm like, he's going to come back next week. Nothing changed. His parents are going to be like, this was a crock of shit. I, I felt like a, a phony, a fraud, and a con man. Fast forward a week later, he's, his dad comes. Mum couldn't make it. His dad came and uh, just before the session with the little boy. And I was just praying and hoping that the dad would say, instead of peeing the bed seven times a week, he only peed the bed six nights a week. Then I could hang my hat on that and be like, yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a process. It takes time. But I was ready to be exposed and have my universe and world um, be trampled upon at that moment. I felt terrible. I had so much anxiety. So I'm like um, to the dad, how, how did little Johnny do over the last week? He looks at me, he's like, oh yeah, he hasn't peed the bed once. So then inside I'm like, holy shit, this stuff actually works. I'm like, oh yeah, of course, that was exactly what was supposed to happen. That's amazing. Yes, it's totally what I expected. Little Johnny came up and to be honest, for the next three sessions, we just drew pictures of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers. As far as I know, he never peed the bed again. And then I had an aha moment. I'm like, it ain't just about me. It ain't just about this character. This kid don't give a damn about my character, charisma, charm, whatever you want to call it. He's just a little boy who's being a little boy, yet it works. And have you used a similar approach? Have you, have you dealt with other bed, uh, bedwetters? I, I dealt with one or two kind of a similar a similar response and, and I, I always follow up with clients and some clients will respond, which, you know, which is great for feedback. Some clients don't respond. So I, I don't know exactly how they're doing. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's what I do. But I, is everyone 100 percent successful all the time? No. I used to just think because people didn't respond back to my message that they were 100 percent successful. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. But I do follow up. And with my the people who respond to my follow up, I have a big satisfaction rating. But more often than not, you know, you find that your the, the way you come across can be an aid to change. Yeah. And I, I used to believe we were taught in hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming and probably cognitive uh, behavioral therapy and, and, and counseling. Build rapport, build mm -hmm. rapport, empath empathize. It's easy for me to say with the client. And um, I used to do that. And um, I realized that um, that wasn't who I was, because to be honest, I don't care why my clients think they're broken or that they have a belief that they're broken. I don't care what the story is. It's the story that's kept them trapped, that's kept them stuck, if you will. I don't care about that. All I care about 
is getting them um, the result that they want and, and coming about it a different way. So I remember getting this really from, from Jürgen Rasmussen that I know you're friends with um, and you've interviewed him. Mm. And he has a great quote and it goes, I'm probably going to butcher it, but it goes something <laughs> along the lines of, if, you've been, if, a, if your friend has been hit by a car, they are on the street corner and they are bleeding out. If you were to empathize, if you were to sympathize with them, then essentially why they're bleeding out, you would lie on the ground and bleed out too. Then you both die. The approach that I like to take is I see that there's someone in pain and I generally want to help that person. It's just something within me. But what I'm going to do in that situation is I am going to call the medical technicians. I'm going to make them as comfortable as I can to get help, to get them a result, to get them moving, to get the right people there to start fixing things. I am not going to lay on the ground in their personal hell while they're dying because then we both die and we are both fucked. And I'm looking at giving them a solution and a way out of that tunnel and not staying in that tunnel and dying with them. Yep. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And I think it's interesting because I know in the rapid fire round, and by the way, for those listeners who are thinking rapid fire round, what's the rapid fire round? Um, underneath this episode, scroll down, you will see Luke's rapid fire round. It's eight questions in two minutes uh, where he goes under fire in quick succession. But he said to uh, the answer to the question, can you think of a concept or idea that you used to believe was true, but you subsequently changed your mind about? You did say that rapport, you, your response was the rapport was needed for change. So when did you begin to realise that that wasn't, it wasn't needed? I, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I, the way, I think the way most people treat others is how they treat themselves. And um, I, 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 with my approach to clients, it's the approach I have for myself. I, I do things every day that I don't want to do. I train, exercise every day. I do not want to do it. I do not get joy or happiness from doing it. I also don't like brushing my teeth or putting my trousers or pants for our American friends on every day. <laughs> but I realize if I walk around the, 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 the streets in my underwear, um, I'm probably going to get arrested. And if I don't brush my teeth, my girlfriend's not going to want to kiss me. So there's certain things that I have to do every day that I do not want to do. But it's about building up that discipline um, to make to make me as strong as I can be. So when the shit does hit the fan in life, it's like okay, this curveball has hit me on uh, in the middle of the head on one Wednesday afternoon. But because I've had this training, rain, sleet or shine, that I'm going to do these things. Like I'm going to meditate every day, no matter what. I don't want to meditate. I do it. I'm going to train every day, whether I had zero sleep, whether I had a lot of sleep, whether I have so many clients, whether someone died, God forbid, even though I'm an atheist in my life or I'm traveling. There's certain things I have to do every day and I don't let myself off the hook. And it's not about punishing myself. It's not about beating myself up in a weird relationship. It's just like there's certain streaks, I call them, certain behaviors that I do every day. So it makes it inevitable that when I wake up tomorrow and I want to be lazy and I don't want to do anything, I do the right stuff because my default programming is I have a streak of a fa 1,500 days of training, 1,500 days of meditating, 1,500 days making calls to prospective clients. Um, so I, I, the same way I treat myself is how I treat my clients. This is what worked for me. This, it doesn't matter. You can either have results or you can have reasons in your life. And on a piece of paper I write for my clients, results, line, reasons, excuses, uh, something I originally got from David Shepard over there in England. Mm. And I say, if you want a result, you need to give up everything underneath the line, which is reasons and excuses. Now, you might have great reasons. You might have great excuses on why you're messed up on why you can't change. But as long as you have those reasons, as long as you have those excuses, you can't have what's above that line, which is results. So today's session, today's work, all of our work comes down. What do you want? Do you want results? And if you do, you're going to need to draw a line. And I give them the piece of paper through the reasons or excuses, or you get to keep your reasons, excuses, and our session's done, and I cannot help you. So I do not treat anyone any different to how I treat myself. But, I, but one of the ways I've been able to become successful in multiple areas of my life to put myself over is I don't take any bullshit from myself, so I ain't going to take it from you. Because that would be doing a disservice to you. And what I like about that is, you know, it's sure, absolutely sure, is putting them in control of the results and the responsibility for the change. 
Absolutely. And I always tell my clients, I do fun things, fun hypnotic phenomena, and it blows their mind. And then I go, listen, I'd love to take credit for all of this and be some Jedi master. However, you did that. And when you make this miraculous change here today, yes, I facilitated it. Yes, I led you. Yes, I guided you. But no, make no mistakes about it. You're your own savior. You are going to save yourself today. You are going to transform your own life. You get to own it and you get to feel incredible about it. I was just a person who helped to um, put a map together to get you there. Much like a professional fighter. They have to go out there and win the fight, but they may have a strategist out there that will 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 um, uh, will look at their opponent, will scout their opponent, all the movements, the fighting style of their opponent and put together a specific strategy on how to overcome that opponent in front of you. Um, strategically, but you, the client, you have to go out there and box or have the MMA fight or the wrestling fight out there, but you have a clear strategy on how to do it. I love it. And and the other question that you, you said that I thought was really interesting in the rapid fire round was uh, when I asked you most important belief for a change worker to have, you said, if you are in therapy, you are in entertainment. Um, I, it was a great answer. I'd love you to elaborate on that. Yeah, I get that one originally, I believe, from Richard Bandler uh, back in the day. And um, I, I realized that as, as change workers, we're, we're sitting there and we're listening to a lot of shit, technical words about why our clients feel that they are broken or fucked up. And um, it can be quite taxing. I have to have fun in my sessions to be present in my sessions, to be at my best. I have to have fun. I have to do things as I'm sure you're getting the picture now, that are out of the box, not only for my client, but to keep myself fully involved in the process and pop myself, so to speak, in the uh, in the process. So how people best learn, and when you look at people, good teachers you had at school or college or professors at university versus teachers that were not so good, was the teachers that were really good that you resonate with were not necessarily the smartest teachers. They didn't necessarily have the most initials after their name, but they were the teachers that were able to capture and lead your imagination stronger than your own habitual patterns and behaviors inside your head for a moment, for 30 minutes, for an hour, how long, however long that course, that session was they could captivate your imagination by doing lots of things like a great movie that had ups and downs and spikes of emotion so you didn't know what was going to happen next versus perhaps maybe the teacher that was better trained that had more letters after their name that perhaps spoke in more eloquent way but was so monotone they were so boring that they might have been teaching you quantum physics a cutting edge exciting exciting science Yet they taught it in such a boring way that your unconscious switched off versus the other teacher that was teaching you something um, perhaps boring, like, um, uh, you know, just standard uh, arithmetic. Yet they taught it in such a way that captured and lead, led your imagination and took you on a journey where at the end of it, you felt like you had an experience and you were in the movie versus being talked at and just watching the movie. It certainly comes across, you know, I, I suspect there's probably never a dull moment when someone's working with you. They're probably sitting there on their toes throughout. Yeah, if I, if I sense that some that I'm competing with someone's own uh, ADD in that session, whatever I'm doing, if they're sitting down, I'm going to get them to stand up. If they're lying on the ground, I'm going to get them to stand up. If they're silent, I'll get them to talk. If they're standing in the left corner of the room, I'm going to move them into the right corner of the room. But I'm going to consistently be sh- keeping them on their toes so they're like, shit, you know what? I've got to focus on what's happening here because I don't know what lovingly, what lovingly powerful blow um, this guy's going to throw at me, whether it's going to be a left hook of a swish pattern, whether it's going to be a right hook, right cross, should I say, of a rapid induction. They do not know what's coming. So the whole point, they're in that state of uh, wanton anticipation to stay on their toes. And if I'm competing with their unconscious mind or their own habits, I want to be the most interesting and um entertaining thing in that room the best shiny object in that room so they need to keep captive captivated on me not because i'm so amazing but in order to help them change i need them out of their own head and mm-hmm. i need them out of their own body and following the things i need them to do to get that change 
rapidly. Do you think there's an argument to say that one of the reasons why traditional uh, therapists sometimes struggle with stuff is that there's too much focus on them feeling, trying to make the client too comfortable? Oh, yeah, I, I do the opposite. I, I look at most therapists, even most hypnotists and change workers. And to be honest, they are they're not not very good. They're, they're not they're not they're not the type of therapist that I'd want to go to. They don't have a huge amount of proof. For me, a big thing is, is proof, whether it be testimonial videos, whether that be before and after videos of working with people is consistently having proof that what I'm doing is working versus me just running my mouth off saying how great I am. So a lot of a lot of clients, you know, they excuse me, a lot of hypnotists or therapists, um, they have an approach. And when I watch them work, it just bores the hell out of me and um, they don't have proof of having success. Most of them that I have dealt with, not all of them, but they don't have hard world proof that what they're doing is 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 working. So I look at that and I look at how most people and, mo and I go a lot to a lot of these conventions mm. and most of these therapists are looking to the next course to do that. Well, if I do that next course, I'll finally have the confidence to work with heroin addicts or whatever. If only I get that next piece of fruit, then I'll have the confidence to work. And it's always good to have ongoing education, totally. But they get caught in this analysis of paralysis of when I do the next thing, I'll finally be good enough and successful enough and bulletproof enough to be work with his clients. And they, they're just, they're too earthy, they're too crunchy, they're too soft. And I know me, if I were to see one of these clients, I'm not going to take them seriously. I need someone that in my mind is as powerful as I perceive myself to be or my problems to be or even more powerful to get me out of the habitual shit I'm running inside my head. And when people are just earthy, crunchy, peace and love, that approach doesn't work for me. I get it may work for some people. And if it works for you, all the power in the world to you. When people come to see me, it's because that shit hasn't worked and they need somebody to come in lovingly respectfully with a sledgehammer and uh, knock that wall down inside their head. I think that's uh, it's really interesting that you, you can take a sledgehammer in a loving and respectful way. Um, something else you, we, we've spoken about previously, uh, Luke, is, uh, and I think it was really interesting, was uh, you kind of said you're a, a Marmite kind of character uh, and that you think that you have to be kind of polarizing to be successful. I, I'm wondering if you can uh, share your thoughts around that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a part. People like to be beige in this world. Some a lot of people don't like to stick out because when you stick out, where it's for doing something perceived to be good or perceived to be bad, you are being judged. And we live in this world of social media where where we have a lot of these keyboard jockeys that are so brave to make comments underneath videos. Yet if you met them face to face, and I have, they won't say the same thing to your face and um I, I don't live my life that way i live my life in you love me or you hate me and i'm okay with either one i live my life that when i speak to my client i'm like you know what before we even do this screening call over the telephone if you have not done your due diligence and researched me here's a bunch of videos with me working with people and giving talks watch those videos and if after watching those videos you're going to come to one of two conclusions of me and i'm cool with either one either conclusion number one is this guy is awesome i love the approach i really want to help i really want to work with you i really feel you can help me beautiful or they come to the conclusion of this guy is a complete asshole with his head up his ass i never want to meet this guy i'm okay with that as well it screens you out so when you come into my office You've kind of watched some videos with me. You've seen my approach. You kind of know, and they never really know what's coming, but they, they know on some level, all right, you know, this guy was straightforward with me. He told me what to expect. So now I'm on the train, and I'm on the train until um, we fix this thing. So, yeah, I believe in being – to be polarizing, it can be very stressful, whether it be in the world of entertainment whether it be a politician, whether it be in a change worker, to be polarizing, you have to be a certain type of character. And most people will not be able to deal with the amount of stress that comes with it. But I made a choice a long time ago, and it's not a market employee. It is who I am in my day to day life. Ask the people that hang out with me. I am a polarizing character and I accept it. This is who I am. 
And I think when you do become polarizing, you're making people make a choice. If you come and work with me, this is what to expect. If you choose not to work with me, cool, get off the train. However, you're choosing people, you're getting people to make a choice there and then. Because I think beige, I think being neutral, being middle of the road, you will be a middle of the road therapist. You will be a middle of the road man or woman out there. And you will never truly be great because you haven't fully embraced who you are. I embraced who I was a long time ago. And you can love me. You can hate me. As long as you talk about me, I'm going to make you talk louder. Very nicely said. Very nicely said indeed. So go on. This is the Rapid Change Matters podcast. So why don't you tell us a couple of case studies of people that have come in one way. They've left very quickly. They've had transformations. I uh, I had a, a lady who came in for stop smoking. And this was this is when I gave people the option of working for up to four sessions. I'd offer them one session, but I'd have, also offer them up to four sessions. I no longer do that. Here's one of the reasons. She came in and um, and for whatever reason, and this is based on my field research and my field research alone of literally working with thousands of men and women over 21 years now. I often find, not often, I find a certain a certain uh, percentage of women that I see that are over the age of 35 will come in and perhaps they are managing a business, perhaps they are government workers, but they come in and they have control issues and they will tell me, Luke, I don't like giving up control. I want to be in control all of the time. And I realize that we need to deal with the illusion of control way before we get on to their problem, their presenting issue of, in this lady's case, being a smoker. So I knew we were going to have a challenge. So she's talking a lot on the telephone, a lot, a lot, a lot. She comes into the session and she's just talking. And I've already told her, um, respectfully, I know everything I need to know about you now and your problem. If I need to know more, I will ask you. This is not a therapy session. You do not, You do not get to hemorrhage your problem all over me because if you do that, you get to leave with your problem. You've paid for my time and I desperately want to give you a result. So respectfully, shut the fuck up. So which point it kind of shocks her world a little bit. And we have I, I do some reframes on control with her. I give her a, a experiential learning of control. I think I got this from Igor as well. Sorry, not Igor, from uh, Jürgen, Jürgen Rasmussen, mm -hmm. where I asked her to close her eyes and for the next 30 seconds, think of nothing other than I think of nothing. So after 15 seconds, I stopped. I'm like, how many things did you think about other than nothing? She's like 15. I'm like, great. So you, you, were, you, were, you were not in control. You were not in a stressful situation. You were not in a busy, loud environment. Yet you could not simply be in control of your own mind for 15 seconds. You have no control. Neither do I. The best I can do is help influence your unconscious mind in a way that will be stronger than the way you're influencing. But you have no control of this. Neither do I. And I gave her a study on neuroscience where I got from uh, Open University where it proves that in a way free will doesn't exist at least consciously we go all through this she's battling me all along the way we do a couple of sessions and and she continues to smoke and she continues to have her reasons and to be honest i was pulling out my hair and i was almost ready to just give her the money back for the remaining sessions because she simply wasn't following my instructions it was a battle of control and um, after the second session, I, I honestly can't even remember what I did with her. I think I just gave her a black or white. Either you're going to stop smoking between now and the next session or don't bother coming back. And I'll give you the remaining money for the remaining sessions you ever done. But I, I ain't messing around with you. I'm done with this. Um, and I was dreading the next session. I'm like, it's just a battle the whole time with her. Long story short, she comes in. She accepted the uh, hard lining. She comes in, and I realized I was going into the session with a negative mindset that she was going to be a pain in the ass. So I did a tapping, a TFT, tapping protocol before the session, which is, you know what? I need to not be toxic and influence this session. Just because the last two sessions went down this rabbit hole, it does not mean the rest of the work will. I tapped it out of myself. She came in, and, as, and basically she'd made the change. She didn't smoke. Um, it was done then, and we just reinforced it for the next session or so. Um, and actually, I had a call back from her the other day. It was actually Monday. She's been smoke-free for six months, and now she wants to work on some weight issues. 
so that was that was one you know challenging session that I was pre-influencing the session in a negative way that I had to get rid of it. Um, another another client session was, was a gentleman that I saw who was hugely obese. He was about 350 pounds. He said, Luke, if I if I don't lose weight, if I don't release weight, I feel I'm going to die and I'm not going to be there for my little boy. This guy was in his late 30s, early 40s. So it was a life or death for this thing. He said in five years from now, if I do not release this weight, I'm going to be dead and I am not going to be able to see my little boy grow up. So we did some work. First session, he broke my chair. He actually broke my chair for real. And he was very resistant to everything I was asking him to do. Uh, we'd booked four sessions for a gastric band and weight release uh, hypnosis protocol. He then proceeded to call me um, between the first session and the second session, wanting to cancel, wanting a refund. And I'm very clear and upfront with my clients. Once you step on the train, you are on the train and uh, you don't get to get off the train until we're done. So there are no refunds. And uh, if you choose to cancel the sessions, that's up to you. But the sessions are booked. It's your time. They agree to it on the telephone and they sign an agreement which says, I understand this. And I understand, um, you know, that, that it may take more than one session, but there are no refunds and we're going to do the work. Anyways, he wants a refund. He does not want to do the remaining three sessions. I get him on the telephone. I'm like, we'll change his name. John. Um, I understand you don't want to do this. You are on the train. If you decide not to no longer work with me, that's up to you. But understand there is no refunds and the times that we book are your times. Um, this is not going to change. You can shout, you can scream at me, but you signed the agreement and I told you before you signed anything, this is what we're doing and to which you agreed and you signed to it. So it's either you want to do it or you've just paid me for a bunch of time where we're not going to work together. Thank you very much. He begrudgingly like, oh, I've got no choice. I guess I'll have to come in again. So I'm dreading it. I'm like, I have no rapport with this guy right now. He doesn't want to be there. He is just going to make my life hell. He comes into the first session and I've told him, oh, by the way, this is the last time we talk about this issue, about the refund and stuff. When you come into my office, we've drawn a line underneath that. We are just going to work on your issues to save your life. So you're going to be there for your little boy. He agrees. He comes into the first session. He tries to take the frame and complain about getting a refund and it not working. To which point I say, hey, we've had this discussion. Not going to talk about it anymore. You've got one of two choices. Either we can work together and save your life or you can leave. There is no refunds. I will leave the room for five minutes. Make a decision. I'm cool with whatever decision you make. But that's your only choices. I leave the room for five minutes. I come back in. What do you want to do? He's like, well, I guess I have to do this hypnosis then. So I'm like, this guy is not going to uh, be cooperative in trance. He hates me. He thinks now I'm the problem for him. Long story short, I hypnotize him. He starts to drool. He starts to snore. He's not sleeping because I get an idiomotor response. He can hear everything I say. We do the work. I'm like, what the hell? This guy doesn't like me. There is no rapport, yet it's working. He's showing the signs of deep trance, if such a thing exists. I then start to comp compound my suggestions by talking about his shrinking sexual future. If he does not follow the instructions I'm giving him to save his life. To which point I'm like, this guy is going to get up. He's about six foot two, 350 pounds. He's going to knock me out. He did not. He did not open his eyes. He did not emerge. I uh, then emerge him at the end of the session, fully imagine him to be like, you said what about my sexual future? That's terrible. To which point I say, hey, how was the session? How's your experience today? He's like, oh, yeah, great. That was good. See you next week. And I saw him next week. And uh, as far as I know, he did manage to lose some of that weight and he did complete his work with me. And I guess this has just consolidated this idea that hey, rapport is uh, not necessarily needed for change. And I think there's two different types of rapport. There's conscious rapport where you're aware you like someone and you feel the feels, the warmth inside for them. But there's unconscious rapport where as a young person, you may have had a teacher, you may have had a male influence in your life that perhaps you did not outwardly like, but you respected and you would do what they said you, um, they asked you to do because you respected that they were going to take you down the right road, but perhaps you didn't like them. So I call that unconscious rapport. They might not consciously like me or have any rapport, 
but they're unconscious. That five to seven year old inside them gets understands that my job is to truly help this person. And I do desperately want to help this person, whether they're consciously aware of it or not. And they're unconscious will allow me to go in and make the changes. You mentioned in the rapid fire round about uh, one of the books you'd recommend was Conversations uh, with Richard Bandler um, by Owen Fitzpatrick. Um, are there any other, a couple of other books that you would recommend to people who were interested in learning about change work? Yeah, good question. Uh, to put over your, your friend, uh, Jürgen Matt Rasmussen, uh, his work's great, Provocative Therapy, uh, Provocative Suggestion, two great books. Also, uh, I'm going to talk, this is more of a manual that, than an actual book, mm. uh, but it's by the, the departed, the deceased Jeffrey Stevens on the Golden Box. His whole um, way of training and working with people, he's got a really nice system. And although I do not believe one size fits all, it's nice stability wheels on your on your pedal bike if you're just getting into hypnosis or a nice structure, if you will, of a first session that works using part, a form of parts therapy with people. So I'd strongly uh, recommend that work as well. But it's more of a manual as opposed to a book. Um, and some other stuff I would recommend. Hey, this book is not this book is not a therapy book. It's actually a book by a famous comedian called Bill Hicks, mm -hmm. who passed away about 25 years ago, who many people um, in certainly in, in Europe and, and some in America, they regard him as as the way that people do stand up comedy. Now, he strongly influenced that. And it's a book called uh, Love All the People. And Bill Hicks would be a comedian uh, in the early 90s. Yet his stuff was funny. But when I first heard his stuff, I'm like, this is not laugh, laugh out of my seat. Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, funny. Yet when I listened to it again, he never regarded himself as a comedian. He regarded himself as a shaman. So a lot of his com comedy was directed in making you look at the world a different way seeing through the matrix so it's a, it's a it's a 500 page book plus and it's comedy routines but his views on the world and and seeing it pretty much outside the matrix about seven years before the matrix came out so it's called love all the people by bill hicks and um not strictly a therapeutic book in any means but for looking at mindsets and uh, seeing beyond yourself and seeing beyond your nose as uh, someone I know would say, uh, the French Pixie, then I'd really recommend that book. That's uh, very, very cool. Some really good uh, book recommendations there. Um, if people are hearing you and they're thinking, oh, I love this guy, I want to I wanna find out more, where can they go? Where can they get in touch? Lovely. So a couple of ways. Uh, my website is www.lukenosis.com. Luke, like me, and Gnosis, like the end of hypnosis. Um, you'll see a bunch of videos and work on me. Um, you can see 622 plus videos of me on my YouTube, which is YouTube forward slash Luke Gnosis again, uh, L-U-K-E-N-O-S-I-S. -S. And these are not just talking head videos of me running my mouth off. Uh, there will be uh, literally 75 testimonial videos of uh, 75 different clients, not one client talking about 75 different problems. They came to see me. A lot of my talks are on there, like my TED talk and talks that I do at conferences, like HypnoThoughts, uh, and also uh, actual work with clients that are uh, that wanted me to record the sessions, actual real change work, beginning to end stuff. So I'd recommend that. And all, I also have a podcast as well. It's a little bit different to yours. I tend to not interview guests. It's called Unstuck. You can find that on your iTunes. And it goes out weekly. And it's just about taking a concept, whether that be weight release, uh, anxiety, getting outside the matrix, and exploring that for about 20 or 30 minutes each and every week and sharing a kind of no-holds-barred, no-bullshit approach on how I see it and practical things that you can put into place to alleviate the symptoms of your problem with the podcast, Unstuck. Fantastic. We're going to stick the links uh, underneath your episode, so it'll be nice and easy Beautiful. for people to find them. Tell me, Luke, when we first uh, chatted about you coming on the show, is there anything that you thought would come up, uh, but that just I haven't asked directly, but you'd like to share? 
Yeah, you know what? I'm 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 going to say that I I I'm a big believer in in ready fire aim. I'm a red a big believer in taking action, even if you perceive that action's wrong. Do keep moving moving forward. I think I got that from John Grindler at some point. But I'm a big believer in. I go to these hypnosis conference with the biggest names, the biggest faces in hypnosis, and these there's a lot of people at these conferences that will go and hero worship these people. And um, I always feel that does a disservice to you when you go to conferences and when you go and you do meet these other gurus. I feel it. I feel it's great to learn with people from people. I feel it's great to mentor with people, uh, as the, as people do with me, including the hypnotic empress. But it's it's also realizing, hey, I'm going to go and do a workshop, a course with this known figure in hypnosis because I respect that person. Yeah, I'm not going to try to be that person. I'm not going to necessarily drink the Kool-Aid. I'm going to respect that person. I'm going to take their learnings, their understandings. Then I'm going to filter it through my own experience and who I am and put together my own thing because a lot of in hypnosis there's a lot of oh i i invented this technique or i invented that technique no you didn't inv invent shit this stuff's been around a long time i did not invent shit anything that i do i have modeled i have stolen from other people that i most likely paid a lot of money to do it the only thing remotely unique i bring to what i do is my character is i filter it through who i am habitually in my day-to-day -day life and then I will do the work that I do. So people, a lot of people talk about originality. You are not original. No one out there, no matter of their guru status, is not original. They did not invent anything. Get your head out of your ass. Dial your ego down. You did not invent anything. The best you could do is put a little bit of a twist on something, filter it through your own experience to perhaps present it in a different form or fashion. But none of us are unique. None of us are special snowflakes, ladies and gentlemen. We're all living this world and we're all using techniques and skills that have been out there tens, maybe hundreds of years in the healing art. And what a great way to finish uh, a fantastic episode. And uh, hopefully everyone um, who's been listening, this is a bit of a wake-up call to maybe examine and look at, you know, uh, embrace differences, embrace originality, and uh, package things up in a way that works for you. Let's not be a copy of someone else. Uh, there's too much of that that goes on. So, Luke, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And uh, yeah. Awesome, Howard. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested, and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapidchangematters hyphen podcast, and of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.